This journey started long before us, mapped out from the very beginning. Movements built on a legacy of prayer and sacrifice. This is not the easy way. It requires hard things. It will change us. It demands our attention. It is a journey of rescue to be passed on from one generation to the next. And we are here to take up the baton, to embrace our leg of the journey, to go, not just for ourselves, but for the generations to come. Here we go. Awesome. Well, good evening, Grace Church. It is awesome to see you here at the 515 service, and so excited to have you as we are beginning a brand new series today. I don't know if you can tell what it's called, um, but it is called Here We Go. And I got to be honest with you, I am, um, I'm super excited about the conversation that we're going to be in for the next five weeks together. The series is a five-week series. I'll also be honest with you, um, I'm also a little bit... Um, there's a whole wide range of emotions that I have starting this series together. And the reason I have a, a wide range of emotions, I'm excited, I'm also a little nervous, just to be honest with you, and I also have a lot of anticipation. And the reason for that is because today actually is the culmination of a journey and of a conversation and of planning and prayer that has been going on for over a year. And so we have been planning for this moment, for this particular five-week series for a very long time. And so I'm excited that we're finally here and we finally have a chance to be able to talk through what we're going to talk about in the next uh, five weeks together. And you can probably tell, even just by me saying what I said and even what you're seeing going around, this is going to be a little bit different of a sermon series. It's going to be a little more unique than what we typically do here on the weekends. Like, I don't usually wear a shirt that uh, coincides with the sermon series. I don't do that every week. We don't usually have a party uh, the day before we begin a sermon series where we invite a thousand of our closest friends to come out, which was a blast. If you guys happen to be there for the party, uh, that was so much fun to be able to be there. I actually ran into uh, somebody who was at the party yesterday, and they came up, and they said, man, this is a blast. And they said their first time at Grace Church was actually the week before, and they heard about the party and they came and I said, well, we actually do that for every first time guest. And so if you, um, first time guest that's coming this week for you and uh, no, I'm just kidding. I wish we could do that uh, every week, but uh, it is a unique series. And I want you to know that as we journey through um, this next five weeks together, that if you're someone who's been coming around grace uh, kind of regularly, been here for a while, I want you to interact with this, this sermon series a little different, okay? So this is, this is going to be unique in a lot of different ways from what we typically do here uh, on the weekends. So here's how I want you to think about the next five weeks together, okay? So just to kind of set your expectations and get us on the same page, I want you to consider the next five weeks a family conversation, all right? So that's what we're kind of getting into together. This is a family room and this is a family conversation. That's how I want us to kind of interact with that. And what I mean is that we're trying to talk really specifically to those who call Grace Church home. So if you're a person that would say, this is my church, um, this is actually a time for us to sort of talk a little bit as a family. In fact, I might even say this, more than just being a family conversation, this is actually the beginning of a family trip. Okay, so this is the beginning of a journey that we want to go on, and this marks the beginning of that journey. And so I want you to hear me say this, that the goal of this series is not that we want to talk about something, all right? That's not the bottom line goal. The, the goal of this series is that we want to go somewhere. 
and that we want to lead through this series and hopefully take us on a journey to where we believe God wants us to go next. And so I want you to think about it that way. This is a family trip. You're going to find out over the next five weeks, this is a family trip that is going to require every man, every woman, and every child who is part of the Medina East Campus as we begin to pursue what we believe God has in store for us in this next leg of the journey. Now, let me also say, I know that when I say that, when I say this is a family conversation, that this is a family journey that we're going to be on together, some of you, you might be hearing that, you might be a guest. This might be the first time that you're here, or maybe you invited a friend, and this is, you know, it's your first time here, and you're thinking to yourself, bummer, you know, I'm not actually part of the Grace Church family. I don't consider myself part of this church. So does that mean that this is kind of like an insider conversation? and that I'm on the outside, and I like came at the wrong time. Is that what's going on? And let me just say that if you're a guest with us today, I don't want you to think of it that way at all. In fact, I want to personally invite you uh, to lock in for the rest of this series, to, to hear this whole thing out. I want to invite you to listen in on the conversation. I want to invite you to be part of the family, to be part of the Grace Church family. But even if you decide not to make this church your home, I actually think this series is going to be super helpful for you if you're a guest. And here's why. Because if you're trying to figure out, is this the church for me, I think the next five weeks, you're going to understand pretty clearly what our heart is, like what is this church all about, and at the end of those five weeks, you're going to understand where we're going, and so I think as a result of that, that's actually really going to help inform whether or not this is the church for you, and we would love to get to know you and kind of journey with you in that, so just kind of want to let you know about those things, but all, again, all this to say this, I don't want you to, I don't want you to think of the next five weeks simply as a message, it's not just a message. I want you to think of it as a moment. Okay, this is, this is us looking and saying, we are in a moment together as a church. And we want to capitalize on this moment and we want to be sensitive in this moment to where we think that God is leading us and we want to talk about where we're going to go together throughout this series. That's what we're going to do. I just want to say... Um, if you are new to Grace, um, just to kind of give you a little bit of what's going on in this moment as a church, as the Medina East Campus of Grace Church, I just want to tell you from my vantage point as the campus pastor here at Grace Church, I don't know how to explain to you what's been happening here at our church except to say this, that right now God is doing something that is really special. That over the, the course of the last seven years, and we'll talk about this more in weeks to come, our, our campus turned seven. We turned seven, I don't know if you guys knew this, we turned seven in December, uh, which means that we're the equivalent of, what's that mean, a second grader? And we have the same maturity level uh, as well. Uh, but God has done some amazing things, and we have been able to be part of something special. And I would just tell you that we are in a moment right now where we are experiencing God work in very, I would say, very notable and very palpable ways. If you've been around the campus for any length of time, my guess is that you know what I'm talking about. And what we're saying in this series is we're saying, now, what are we doing with that? What are we going to do with the moment that God has us in? And what's the next leg of the journey of our campus going to look like? In fact, I might frame it up this way. Some of you might know this. We actually just finished a series uh, last week. Seth talked about it. It's called You Are Here. And in that series, we actually spent 11 weeks, an 11-week period of time, and we said that the whole goal was that we want to orient ourselves to the story of God, to the big story of God, from Genesis to Revelation, what is the singular unified story that the Bible is telling? And so we had a chance to open that up. We, we watched God do amazing things through that series, and we watched God work in so many people's lives throughout the duration of that series. And now what we're saying is, now that we have oriented ourselves to the big story of God, we're moving into this next series called Here We Go. And here we go, what we're really saying is this, okay, so in light of what we just heard, 
in light of understanding the big story of God, now what is our part? What is our part in, in this church, in this place, in Medina, Ohio, at the 515 service? What is our part in God's story? And what is our part that we can play together as we try to make an impact in our world and in our community. And so that's what we're kind of talking about is where do we go from here? And so here's what I want to tell you before we jump into today, because you probably have all kinds of questions rolling around in your mind. Over the next five weeks, I want to give you a lot of specifics and a lot of details about where we're going, about where we're planning to go, and about how we're going to get there. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the where. We're going to talk about the how. We're going to give you a lot of details and information and all of that. There's going to be a ton that's going to come in this, okay? It's going to be a very practical series from that standpoint. But today, as we begin this series, this whole five-week journey, I think we need to first start by talking about the why, okay? So before we talk about the how, we talk about the where, I think we got to talk about the why. Why? What is the heartbeat behind this next leg of the journey that we're gonna be going on as a campus together? What is the kind of the foundation that's behind that? And so by the end of today's talk, I just want you to understand, you're probably gonna have more questions than you have answers. Uh, by the end of today's talk, you're probably gonna have some big question marks about like, what is this gonna look like? And how is this gonna play out? And what does that mean for our church? And that's all coming, okay? It's coming. So I want you to be patient on that. But you have to start, we have to start by getting our hearts and getting our minds around the why, the why. And so to do that, I actually want to encourage you, I want you to get your Bible with me, and I want to show you kind of the foundation of this whole conversation, and we're going to take a look at that in Psalm 78. Okay, so if you've got a Bible, if you would go ahead and you'd flip it open with me, we're going to take a look a little bit here at Psalm 78. That's going to be found on page 407, by the way, in the Bibles that we have provided for you. And so if you didn't bring a Bible, feel free to use one of those. And if you don't own a Bible, have one. We'd love for you to take one home. Psalm 78 is where we're going to go. Now, as you're finding Psalm 78, you might just want to put a bookmark in there uh, if you have a Bible of your own, because we're going to keep coming back here. All right, so each week, this, this passage is actually going to serve kind of as base camp for us. Okay, so it's going to be like home base. And as we journey through this series, we're going to find ourselves coming back here, because I believe it lays such a critical and crucial foundation to where we're hoping to go and where we believe God is leading us together as a church in this next, this next kind of chapter, okay? So Psalm 78. Um, now, let's go ahead and start. We'll just start at the very beginning. And we'll actually start right before verse one. Okay, so before you jump in verse one, I don't know if your Bible says this part. I think most Bibles do, if not all of them. It begins, it says Psalm 78, and before verse one, it says a maskil of Asaph, all right? A maskil of Asaph. And I know for some of you, this is, this is your memory verse, right? This is, this is what gives you comfort and hope, is this thing. No, this is actually one of those things, I think for some of us who are Bible readers, this is actually one of those parts of the Bible that we read right past and don't think twice about, right? That's like the, I don't know, it's like a footnote or an afterthought. But I actually think that, that what this says is actually kind of significant. And I won't go too deep in the weeds on this, but basically the reason I think this is important is because it's not simply telling us who wrote the psalm, which it is, but it's also telling us what kind of psalm this is. And so it tells us who wrote it. And the author or the, the, the writer of this psalm was a guy named Asaph. Asaph was a worship leader, um, and he would, would have been a worship leader within Israel. Uh, but it also tells us not just who wrote it, but what kind of psalm it is, what kind of psalm. And it tells us that it's a maskil 
It's a masculine. That's the kind of psalm that we're dealing with here. Now, what does that mean and why is that important? Okay, so if you're newer to the book of Psalms, what you might not know is that the Psalms, a good way to think of the book of Psalms is it was almost like a national songbook. And so the nation of Israel would come to the book of Psalms, Psalms, and it would be for them anthems and declarations that they would sing together as, as a nation. And really, there was four different categories of psalms. And I'm not going to get, again, too deep into this. But there's really four different types of psalms. So one type of psalm is, uh, it would have been like psalms of lament. So those would have been like sad songs, right? Uh, then there would have been psalms of gratitude. So those were like, thank you, God, psalms. And then there was psalms of worship or praise. So those were like, God, you're awesome, psalms. But then there's a fourth category, and that was called the masculines. And those are basically, here's a good way to think of it. Those were psalms of instruction, psalms of instruction. So they were songs that were designed to instruct and impart wisdom. That's what they were intended to do. So why is that important? Here's why it's important. It's because right before we read Psalm 78, it actually tells us how we're supposed to approach this psalm. This psalm is intended to instruct God's people. It is intended to impart wisdom. Listen, this psalm is intended to teach us how we should live. What is the pattern in which we live? And so I want you to get that because that's what Asaph is trying to tell us. All right, so let's take a look, starting off in verse one. He says, my people, this is the beginning of his song. My people, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things from old. Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. Okay, so uh, these are song lyrics. Um, they probably don't translate super well. Uh, they're not, there's no rhyme or anything, as you can see. But basically, I want you to just kind of modern day translation. Basically, Asaph begins his song, and he says, listen up, everybody. Listen up. This is modern day translation. Listen up, everybody. Gather around. I'm about to drop some ancient wisdom on you. All right, so that's how his song begins. And then what does he go on to say? Well, look at verse four, because this is actually, this actually right here is the heart, the heart of this whole psalm that we're gonna read. He says this, we will not hide them. Now remember, this is the whole nation of Israel that would sing this. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and he established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. All right, so I want you to stop there. So here, here's the song. This is in a psalm of instruction. The whole nation would have sung this together. It would have been an anthem of the people of God. And basically the song starts off, here's wisdom from God. And then he says this. This is what they would sing. We will not hide. We will not hide. Some of you have translations that say, we will not conceal. Or some translations say it this way. We will not deny We're not going to conceal, we're not going to hide, we're not going to deny the next generation, but we will tell, we will tell, we will declare to the next generation. And what is it that they're not going to hide, and what is it that they're going to tell? Well, you notice in the psalm, it's right there, there's actually two things. If you look carefully, you'll see there's actually two things here that he says, we're not going to hide, but we're going to tell. We're not going to conceal, but we're going to declare. We're not going to deny, but we are going to impart. And what are those two things? Well, first off, uh, you'll notice here, um, what he says here is the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. In other words, here's what that means. Just, you could just write, even if you're writing notes in your margins, or whatever, just write this. Uh, what he's saying is, we're not gonna hide, but we're gonna tell the works of God. 
the works of God. That is the powerful things that God has done, the praiseworthy deeds that he has accomplished of his power and the wonders that he has done. In other words, what they're saying is, we're not gonna hide, we're not gonna conceal the good, amazing, wonderful things that God has done for us. The ways that God has moved in our life, the ways that God has moved in our families, the ways that God has moved in our communities, the powerful ways that we've witnessed God's work, we are, not, we are going to tell the next generation about those things. We're gonna make sure that they know how awesome God is. And my guess is, even in this room, for those of us who follow Jesus, as I say, man, the works of God, you can think of amazing things that God has done in your own life, that maybe he's done in your own family, I know as a church, we can think of praiseworthy things that God has done in our church. And this is a nation that's saying, we're gonna declare that. We're gonna tell. We're not gonna conceal that. We're not gonna keep that to ourselves. We are gonna impart that and carefully invest that into the next generation. But not just the works of God. Notice the second thing. He says, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, the power and his wonderful name. Then he says this, he, de- he decreed statutes for Jacob and he established the law in Israel which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. Now, what's that talking about? What's that talking about when he says the statutes and the laws? Well, here, here's a good way of thinking about that. That is actually an Old Testament way of talking about the Bible. That's what it's talking about. And so what is that? Well, it's not just the works of God, but it's also the word of God. It's the word of God. It's the story of God. It's what we just talked about in the last series, the story, and here, here's what the Israelites are declaring and singing together in this psalm of instruction. They're saying, we're not gonna hide, and we're gonna tell. And what are we gonna tell about? We're gonna talk about the works of God, and we're gonna talk about the word of God, and we are going to carefully impart that to the next generation. We're gonna make sure, we're gonna make sure that we spend time and that we're investing that in the right place. That's what they're saying in this psalm. And I want you to notice what he says next. Look at this next thing he says in verse six. He says, so the next generation will know them. Here's the outcome. We want the next generation to know them, even the children yet, un- yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. So I don't know, I don't know if you noticed this, but um, in Psalm six, do you notice that the outcome, the outcome, he says, we're, we're not gonna hide, we're gonna tell. We're gonna talk about the works of God. We're gonna talk about the word of God to the next generation. And do you notice the outcome? He says the outcome is that the next generation would know it, that they would know this, but not only that, do you notice this, that even the children yet to be born and that they in turn would tell their children. And so what's that, what's that talking about? Well, do you notice, it's, it's, very simple, it's a very simple truth, but it's very profound what he's saying here. He's saying this, he's saying that, that if, we, if we tell And if we don't hide, if we don't conceal, if we talk about the works and the word of God and we impart that in the next generation, the hope is that they would then take that and they would know that, that they would know who God is, that they would live for God, that they would take their place in the story of God and that they in turn would tell the next generation and that that generation would in turn tell the next generation. And you notice it has a cascading effect to it that we would tell the next generation and they would tell their children yet to be born and they would in turn would tell their children and basically saying this thing's just gonna go. This thing's just gonna move. There is a baton passing uh, relay race kind of effect to what he's talking about here. Now, as simple as that is to understand, I think it is a very, very profound reality and I think what Asaph is trying to show us and what the Bible is telling us, not just here, but in all other places, is it's actually trying to tell us the method the method by which God's movement was intended to work. 
And what is that? Well, I, just to put it simply for you, here's a good way to think of it. Here's the point I think it's trying to make. It's this, that the story of God, the story of God, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the works and the word of God, the story of God is passed down. It's intended to be passed down. Listen to this, generationally and relationally. I'll put it this way. This is the way in which God has designed his movement to take place. It is life-on-life transmission. It is one generation taking it and passing it down to the next generation. It is one person taking the works and the word of God and not just letting those things flow into them, but then imparting them and carefully giving them to another person. That's what he's talking about here. And that's the way that God intends for his movement to take place. And I'm just telling you, you're gonna find this all throughout the Bible. Now, this isn't just Psalm 78. You're gonna find this everywhere throughout scripture that God's intention, that his mission, that his movement is intended to move generationally and relationally. It is life on life. It's the way that God has designed it to take place. And I honestly think that, that quite honestly, whenever we talk about this, and we talk about the importance of understanding that this is the way that God has designed his movement and God has designed his mission, I I could tell you that um, one of the stories that I I tell on this sometimes, in fact, it was about, I think it was about three years ago now that I first told this story. And I'll be honest with you, I think it was super helpful. It was super helpful to so many people on our team. I think it was helpful to a lot of people in our church in, in understanding the importance of this concept right here. So I thought maybe I'd just tell you the story again. Some of you, uh, maybe if you were here three years ago, you might have heard this, but if not, I'll just tell it to you again. So, um, so basically, here's kind of the story. So before I um, was the campus pastor here at the Medina East Campus, uh, we've been here for seven years. I actually served as a co- the college pastor at one of our other campuses. And before I was the college pastor, I actually worked for a long time uh, as a volunteer uh, student ministries worker. And so I got to work with high school and middle school students, which anyone in the room ever work with high school and middle stu- school students before? Okay, cool. If, you, if you've done that before, you know it is an absolute blast. It is exhausting, but it is a blast because the energy level is super high and the maturity level is super low. And to me, that creates a recipe for a really good time. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I loved working with high school and middle school students. And I remember this one uh, particular occasion, I, uh, the, the youth pastor that I was working with uh, was going to have this youth retreat. So there's this big youth retreat that we were going to have, and it was, it was going to be down in the back, the back country of West Virginia. So it was the middle of nowhere, West Virginia, this retreat thing that we were going to go to. And so um, apparently they had done this thing several times in the past, and so it had gained some momentum. And so there was a bunch of kids that were going to come, a whole bunch of middle school students and high school students that were going to come. I think there was over 50, 50 of them that were going to come to this thing. And so because of that, the youth pastor had rented out an entire fleet of 15 passenger vans. So he got, you know, a whole, about a, you know, I don't even know how many, half a dozen of these 15 passenger vans or whatever. And so because of that, he had to have adult drivers to drive these vans. And so the youth pastor asked me if I'd be willing to, to be one of the drivers that was, was designated uh, to drive. That actually sounds really bad. I wasn't the designated driver, uh, but I was, desi- you, get, you get what I'm saying. So I was designated to drive one of these things. And so I was like, great, no problem. I'll, I'll drive one of these things. So we all got there to the place where we were, you know, all the kids were arriving and we were packing up the vans and, and doing all that. And the youth pastor, um, remember he called us to the, all the drivers to the side. He said, hey, I want to talk to you guys real quick. And he said, listen, he said, I've done this trip before. And he said, and I just, I just need to let you guys know that, um, that this trip, he said, is, uh, is a little bit complicated. 
He said, so we're going to drive down the interstate. And he said, and it's going to be no problem. It's a straight shot to West Virginia. He said, but the moment we get off the highway, he said, it's going to get real tricky. He said, because the moment we get off the highway, we're going into backwoods. And he's like, and when we get on these, when we get on these, you know, on these, on these roads, these back roads in West Virginia, he said, we're going to have no cell phone reception. And then he said, and the roads are going to be really windy and the hills are going to be really hilly and it's crazy. And he said, the susceptibility of us, like our, our, our potential of getting lost is going to be greatly increased. In fact, he said this, he said, in all the years that I've went down there, we've never had a year where someone hasn't gotten lost. I said, okay. He said, so I have a plan. He said, I have a plan. I said, great. He said, here's what we're going to do. And basically he started to draw this out and I'll show you what he did. He basically drew something like this, right? He said, okay, so I want you to, very complicated diagram. He said, I want you to imagine the caravan, all right? So there's all these vans. He said, here's what I want you to do as your driver. He said, as a driver, you are not simply responsible for your van. He said, I want you to, obviously, you're responsible for your van. You need to be thinking about the kids in your van. Obviously, you need to be paying attention to the van in front of you. You need to make sure that you're following them. But this is what he said. He said, I, the way I want you to think is I want every van, every van needs to be paying attention and needs to be responsible for the van behind it. He said, so I want you as van drivers to think about this. You're not just responsible for your van, but you are responsible for the van behind you. So what that means is I want you to maintain an approachable distance. I want you to set a good pace, right? I want you to keep them in your rearview mirror. And he said this, if at any point you don't see them in your rearview mirror, you need to slow down or you need to pull over because they are your responsibility. And this is what he said, and I'll never forget it. He said, because if we do that, that will ensure that nobody gets lost, that no one gets lost. And I remember I thought to myself, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. This is totally gonna work. So we all get in the vans, we fly down the highway, just like he said, it was smooth sailing. Just like he said, it was a straight shot until we got off the highway in West Virginia. And when we did, just like he said, uh, man's cell phone service was gone and the roads got windy and the hills got hilly. And it was nuts. Any of you drive in the back country of West Virginia before? Holy smokes, it is nuts. So we're going up and down, we're curving around. Everything was fine because all of us were working the plan, right? It was going great. We're all paying attention. We're slowing down. We're being considerate for each other until in my van, there was this kid. And this kid, uh, we're driving, and, and he, goes, uh, he goes, hey, Tony, he's sitting in the back, you know? And I go, yeah, what is it, buddy? And he goes, can we pull over? I think I'm gonna get sick. And, you know, motion sickness and all that. And I was like, yeah, man, sure. And so we, we pull this poor kid, this poor, so all the vans pull over. This poor kid in front of all of his friends gets out and just hurls all over the side of the road. And I'm like, poor kid, you know? And so anyway, I'm like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm gonna be fine now. And I was like, great, so get back in the van. Just don't sit next to me. And so he gets back in the van. We start driving and everything's going good. 10 minutes down the road, he's like, can we pull over again? I'm gonna get sick. I was like, sure, we pull over. Poor kid gets sick. He probably, we probably do this. I'm not kidding, five or six times. This kid keeps getting sick. And so after one of the last times we're pulled over, he's getting sick and I got out to help him with something. And when I got back in the van, I realized there was a problem. And the problem was the van that was in front of me uh, was no longer there anymore. And of course, the vans that were behind me were there because they were all following me, but the vans in front of me were, were no longer there. And I thought, huh, that's probably not good. And then I thought to myself, well, you know, um, just benefit of the doubt, he's probably just up around the corner. 
He's probably just waiting for me. So I thought, cool. So we drove a little further. He wasn't there. And I thought, okay, he's probably waiting at the next intersection for me. That's, he's, he's a thoughtful guy. He wouldn't break the rule. And so I went to the intersection. He wasn't there. Long story short, what was supposed to be a three and a half hour trip turned into a seven and a half hour nightmare where I got totally lost with this other group of people around me before we finally found our way to the, to the retreat center. The first thing I did when I got to the retreat center, as you can imagine, is I found the dude who was in the van in front of me and I went up to him and I said, you know, I was trying to be cool. I was like, hey man, <laughs> what happened? Where'd you go, you know? And he was like, oh dude, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was like, it's cool, what happened? And he was like, it's just, it's just that you guys kept pulling over and you were going so slow. And he said, and the people in my van were all complaining. And so I was just like, they'll probably figure it out. And I just went ahead. And I looked at him and I said, Jesus loves you. <laughs> but I want to punch you in the throat right now. And, and I'm so mad at the guy. Anyway, but it was all fine. Here's why I tell you the story. The reason I tell you the story is because I think in a lot of ways, this picture right here, this picture on the screen, I think in so many ways displays God's heart, God's heart for his church and for his people. This is it. And what, what is the heart that we see in the scripture? It's this, that the story of God is intended to be passed down relationally and generationally. Basically, God is saying, listen, I want you to live a life not just where you focus on yourself, not just where you focus on the works and the word in your own life. That's wonderful and that's good. But here's the way God has designed it. You also gotta be looking back and you need to be responsible. You gotta, be, you gotta take responsibility to say, am I pouring myself out and investing in the, the next generation and others who don't know Christ and others who have never experienced it? Am I, am I maintaining a reasonable Distance? Am I setting a good pace? Are we, are we set up in a way where we're, we're focusing in that way? I'll just tell you, it's interesting. This is what Asaph is communicating and he's singing with the Israelites. They're saying, no, we are gonna be people who don't hide, we don't conceal, we don't deny the next generation, we don't keep driving. He says, we're gonna take our time and we're gonna pour ourselves into them and we're gonna tell them about the amazing things that God has done and the hope is that then they will know and they will find their way to what God desires for them and that in turn, the movement of God will just continue to move forward. I'll tell you what is interesting is if you read the rest of the psalm, what you're gonna find out is that Asaph is gonna say that the reason this is so important is because there's so much at stake that's what Asaph is gonna say. In fact, it's interesting. If you read the rest of the psalm from verse nine all the way down to verse 72, it's a very long psalm. What he goes on to talk about is he talks about the Israelites, the ancient Israelites, and how on so many accounts they failed to do this. And basically what he's saying is we need to learn from our history. We need to learn from our history and we gotta get this right. We gotta get this right. I'd say one of the most... Um, Haunting passages, I think, in all of the Bible is in the book of Judges. And, um, you know, in Judges chapter, if you've ever read the book of Judges, by the way, oof, it is arguably the darkest book, maybe in the whole Bible, certainly in the Old Testament. And when you read the book of Judges, what you see is you see a degradation of an entire society. You actually watch an entire nation, the nation of Israel, on a downward spiral that goes towards destruction. It's awful. The book of Judges is terrible. 
I'll tell you what's so fascinating. This is how the book of Judges starts. Look at chapter two. This is what it says. It says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, pause, what it's talking about there is a generation of people, God's people, the Israelites, who experienced God's work and experienced God's word firsthand. These guys experienced miraculous things that God had done. It said after that generation had been gathered to their ancestors, they died. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord and they forsook the Lord. And then the book of Judges happened. I'll tell you what's so haunting about this passage is it tells us that somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, that an entire generation got lost that somewhere along the line, a generation of people who experienced the works and the word of God in a powerful way somehow failed to pass that down to the next generation. And they grew up and they didn't even know who God was and they didn't even know about his works or his word. And the Bible says what's at stake is they all got lost. They all got lost. The whole society in many ways got lost. And just like that caravan, it's a great deal at stake. It's a great deal at stake. Here's what I believe. I believe God's people are at their best. And I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is at its best. When we think like this, I think that's how it works. I think the church of Jesus Christ, I think the movement of God is strongest when God's people are equipped to think like this. And listen, this is just telling you, this is the kind of church we wanna be. We don't wanna be a church that just exists for ourselves. We don't, we don't want to be a church that just, that just is constantly looking at satisfying our own needs and our own preferences, but we want to be a church that's also, also thinking about what's to come, that we're not just about this generation of people who follow Jesus, but we're also concerned about the next generation, making sure they get it, making sure that they know it, making sure that they understand how awesome God is and how wonderful it is to live for him. We want them to know that. We don't wanna be a church, listen, we don't wanna be a church that's just focused on this campus. We wanna be a church that's focused on other communities that maybe there's not a church where the gospel is clear and accessible. We wanna be a, a campus that thinks about the next campus that maybe God wants to develop and he wants to spur through us. We don't just wanna be people, right, Christians, for those of us who follow Jesus, who are just about ourselves. We wanna be thinking about other people who don't know Jesus and helping to impart because this is how the movement of God happens. It happens relationally and it happens generationally. Listen, the reason I tell you all of this, the reason I tell you all this is not because this is just some fascinating theological concept or because this is just an interesting kind of way to think according to Psalm 78. The reason I tell you that is, listen, because Medina East Campus of Grace Church, for those who follow Jesus, here's why I tell you that. You guys, it's our turn. It's our turn. We talk about the story of God. We're up to bat. It's our turn, it's our moment, and God has given us his works and he has given us his word. And God has done powerful things in this church over the past seven years, and it's up, it, it is on us. What are we gonna do with that? What are we gonna do with God has given us? And it's our turn. Listen, I wanna tell you 
that I, I feel very confident, and we've been working on this for over a year, and I can't wait to talk to you about weeks to come. I am very confident that right now, God has uniquely positioned us as a church. He has uniquely positioned us. That if we rally together in a way that we've never rallied around, rallied together in this next leg of the journey, to make a serious impact in our community and in our world, and specifically to the next generation. I think God has positioned us in a very unique way to do that, in a very unique way. And over the next several weeks, I'm excited to talk to you about exactly what that looks like. I wanna talk to you about what that means. I wanna talk to you about what does it mean for us to rally together. I wanna talk to you about how we're gonna get there. I wanna talk to you about the whole plan of what's going on. That's what's gonna be coming in the next weeks. But I do wanna let you know this. I want you to know it's our turn. And I want you to know that in the next several weeks, there's going to be some very specific calls to action. I am going to ask you to do some things. I'm gonna ask you to rally together. I'm gonna ask for those who are part of the Medina East Campus, every man, every woman, every child, that we go together on this journey. I'm gonna ask for that. I'm gonna ask you to be invested in very specific ways. I'm going to ask you to involve yourself with your time I'm going to ask you to involve yourself with energy. I'm gonna ask you to get connected and involved in, uh, in things that are happening here at Grace that if you're not connected to, I'm gonna ask some of you who have been here for a little while to get off the bench and get in the game. I'm gonna ask you to do that. I'm gonna ask for financial involvement in this. And I just wanna be upfront with you that that's all coming in the next several weeks, it's all coming. But before we talk about all of that, here's what we can't miss. We can't miss this, this is the why. This is the why. It's our turn. It's our turn. And we want to be a church that doesn't exist for ourselves. We want to be a church that exists for the world. This is the heart. It's the story of God is passed down generationally and relationally. I want to take our, we want to take our place in the story of God and our part in this journey together. Now, it's interesting. If you, if you, zoom, in, if you zoom back and you look at the movement of God throughout history, you'll see that it is a movement that goes all the way back into the pages of the Old Testament. You will see that it's a movement that begins really all the way back with, with, uh, with Abraham. And God made a promise to Abraham. We talked about this in the previous series. He said, through you, I'm gonna bless all the nations. And generation after generation, the people of God rose up and they talked about the works of God and the word of God and they imparted that to the next generation. And now we find ourselves here in this room where we have that legacy that has come down to us. I'll tell you, one of the reasons I get so passionate about this topic, and I think it's so important that we understand this, is because quite honestly, you guys, that's how, for those of us who follow Jesus, that's how we got here. That's how we got here. It was because someone else was thinking this way. Because that's how I got here. I get so passionate about it because, listen, someone, someone did that for me. I'll tell you a little story about myself. Can I show you guys a picture real quick? So I just want you to prepare yourself for a moment. I want to show you my senior picture from high school. All right, you guys want to see this? Some of you are on my staff, or if you're a leader here, you've seen this before. I apologize, I'm showing it to you again. It's not fun to look at. Um, you guys ready? Brace yourself. There's bad senior pictures, and then there's what I'm going to show you. And uh, you ready? This is my senior picture. All right, here we go. That's it. That's my senior picture. When I was in high, not joking, not joking. I don't know why you're laughing. This isn't, uh, this is not Photoshopped. This is legit. This is real. I'm just going to own it and go ahead and show that to you. The hair is real in that picture. The guitar is real 
in that. Put your phone away, man. Don't take pictures of that. And, uh, but uh, that hair, wow, that hair. I always tell people that hair, that right there was my key to remaining celibate throughout high school, right there. It was, uh, it was like Samson in reverse. It's like the reverse of that kind of thing. You know, let me just say this real quick. Some of you guys wear long hair, and you, you look good. You look good. I didn't. I didn't. And so that was going on. The reason I show you this picture is, is for two, two purposes. Number one is I, I want to get it. I want to I be the one that shows it to you so that you don't get it and use it against me. So I'll embarrass myself before I let you embarrass. This has been a white elephant gift on multiple occasions. Uh, but uh, the other reason I show you this is because I, I just want to tell you a little bit about what was happening in this period of my life. And it was about this time in my life that Jesus met me, that Jesus came and found me and saved me. And I want to tell you a little bit about that because tell you a little bit about this guy right here, this dude uh, with this guitar. When I was in high school, um, but I don't know. I don't know how to say this. I was just. I was. I was. I was. I was. I was a pretty big wreck when I was in high school. I was. Um, I guess just to put it simply, I was extremely, extremely introverted, extremely insecure, extremely socially awkward. And to make matters worse, I had started at a new high school when I was a freshman. I didn't know anybody, and I wasn't good at making friends. I wasn't the most approachable person, obviously, right? It's like, I'll stab you with my guitar if you get too close to me. I was, um, yeah, I, 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 was, I was relatively unapproachable, and I actually tried to make it that way. And uh, I was the kid that would sit by himself at the table at the, in the cafeteria. That was just, I was, I was a wreck. In so many different ways, I was a wreck. I used to hate school. I hated school. I would try to sleep through as many classes as I could. I would come home, and I would pretty much lock myself in my room, and I would listen to heavy metal, and I would play my guitar. That was pretty much what my life was like. And I remember um, I had an aunt, my Aunt Andrea, and she came to know Jesus. She actually became a Christian. She was the first one in our family who really, truly devoted her life to following Christ. And Jesus turned her life upside down. And she started to get involved in this church and she started to serve in a youth group at the church. And so she started to reach out to me. I was a teenager, so she started to reach out to me. And she started to say, why don't you come to youth group with me? And of course, I didn't want to come, but she, she kept inviting me. And I eventually went. I eventually went to this youth group. And I just want to tell you that it was through that that I eventually gave my life to Jesus. I eventually became a Christian. And what's so crazy is when I look at this picture and I think about what my Aunt Andrea did for me, I just can't help but be so filled with gratitude for what, the way that she invested in me. In fact, a couple years ago, it was probably about four or five years ago now, I was thinking about my Aunt Andrea, and I actually wrote her a letter. I wrote her a letter uh, because I was just so deeply um, thankful for what she did. And I thought that maybe uh, what I would do is I'd just read to you this letter that I wrote her. So I printed this up, and I'll be honest, I go back and I, I read this from time to time. And... Um, it does a couple things to me when I read it, and I'll tell you about that here in a second. But here's what I wrote to her. And I gave this to her, so she's got a copy of this too. But this is what I wrote to her. I said, Aunt Andrea, I was recently thinking about you and the incredible difference that you've made in my life. As you recall, as a teenager, I was a painfully shy, long-haired mess. On the outside, I'm sure I was hard to approach and difficult to engage with, and I tried to make it that way. And the truth is that while on the outside I may have seemed unapproachable, on the inside I was deeply insecure and I continually felt like I didn't belong. 
And what I'm sure that most teenagers, while I'm sure that most teenagers struggle through this phase of life, I've also found that very few adults are up for the challenge of engaging in the life of a person in this phase. That's exactly what you did. Rather than back away, you leaned in to a relationship with me. I remember when you invited me to the youth group in which you were serving. Honestly, I was intimidated and I was scared, but I was thankful that someone would even think of me. You persisted to invite me over and over again. You took your time every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night to pick me up in your Nissan Pulsar. You guys remember those cars? She had one of those. It was through that youth group that I was introduced to the teachings of Jesus in a relevant way. And it was through that youth group that I eventually gave my life to Christ. I'll never forget the day I received Jesus. It has permanently etched itself in my mind as the critical turning point of my life. I have time and time again looked back at that day as the beginning of a new life. In Christ, I have found life. I have found meaning. I have found purpose. And I have found hope. It would have been, listen to this, it would have been easier. It would have been easier for you just to drive yourself to church. It would have been easier to stay quiet, to keep your hope in Jesus to yourself. It would have been easy to let my unapproachability overcome your care, but you cared enough about me to inconvenience yourself so that I might share the hope that you found in Jesus. And so for your generosity, I am eternally grateful you showed me in a tangible way what the love of Jesus looks like. You shared your life with so many teens in our youth group during that time. I'm sure at times you wondered what difference did that investment make? Setting up snacks, tearing down chairs, hosting all-nighters, praying for us, teaching Bible lessons to a crowd of hyperactive, inattentive teens. And for what? And I just wanna tell you that it did make a difference. And it's continuing to make a difference. I don't know where I'd be if you hadn't cared enough to reach out and share the most valuable treasure that I have. So I wanted to write just to say thank you. Sincerely, your long-haired punk teen, Matthew. Can I tell you, when I wrote this for her and I read it even now, do you know it does two things in me? It does two. Number one, it fills me with gratitude. God, thank you. Thank you, someone cared enough. Thank you, someone invested. Thank you, God, that someone said, I'm not gonna hide, I'm gonna tell. Thank you. I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for that investment. I promise you I wouldn't be here. God, I don't know. I'd... And here's the other thing it does in me. It inspires me. I wanna be like that. I wanna live like that. Because man, what God has done for me I want to do for somebody else. So what's the heart, man? That's the heart. That's the heart. Will we be a group of people? Will we be a church that says, listen, we're not going to hide. We're going to tell. We're going to tell the world about the praiseworthy deeds and the story of God. People might find the hope that we have. That's the heart. That's the heart behind this whole thing. And so listen, in weeks to come, we're going to talk more about specifics, but here's all I'm asking for tonight. This is it. This is all I'm asking. And the band's going to come up. I'm asking if you would do just two things, just two things, okay? And, and here they are, real simple. Number one is, would you join the caravan? Would you jump in? 
Listen, like I told you, this next, this next part of the journey that we're going on together, we need everyone who's part of the Medina East Campus family in the van. All right, we need you in a van. It's gonna take all of us, man. If we're gonna do some of the things that I'm gonna be talking about in the next several weeks, it's gonna take God working through all of us together. There's no other way it's gonna work. And so I wanna invite you to jump in the caravan. If you are part of the Medina East Campus family, and even if you're a guest, I invite you to jump on in. So would you do this? For the next five weeks, would you prioritize being in this room? Would you prioritize not missing this and jumping in and locking in for the conversation? If you gotta travel, if you're out of town, I get that. Would you stay connected on the podcast? Would you choose to do that? If you're in town, would you, would you be here? Be, I mean, even if there's a crazy snowstorm, would you be like, no, I'm going, man, I'm doing it. Forget the weather warning watch and polar vortexes, I'm there. <laughs> would you do that? That's what I'm asking. And here's the second thing. Would you kneel first? If, this is gonna, if, this is, if, if we're gonna do anything of what we're talking about in the next several weeks, it's gonna take God working through his people and it's gonna take God's people praying like crazy. We're gonna have to pray. And so I wanna ask if you would kneel first. And you know, you've probably heard, Seth was up here a minute ago. We are talking about, we have a whole bunch of different ways to get you connected to prayer throughout this series. One of the ways that we're gonna be getting connected through prayer, I wanna encourage you to lock into is something we're calling 30 days of prayer. In your programs at the very top, you probably notice that there is a website. It's called herewegomedina.com or .org, whatever it is. And you're gonna follow that, and on that website, you're gonna find a 30-day prayer initiative. I'm asking you, would you pray for the next 30 days? Uh, if you click on the day of prayer, there's going to be uh, some information and some scripture to pray through. I just want you to think about this with me for a minute. If, let's just say that we have, for simple math, let's just say we have 1,000 people connected to our church. For simple math, if 1,000 people prayed for 15 minutes a day for the next 30 days, you guys, that is over 7,000 hours of prayer. That, that's nearly, that's, that is nearly 300 days of prayer that we could collaboratively do in this next month. And we wanna rally around that to pray together. Would you do that, 30 days of prayer? Here's the second thing. We have a prayer room throughout this whole series, room 100, which if you go down the hallway, right past the bathrooms, there's a room, room 100. That is the designated prayer room. At any time during the series, during the weekend services, go back there and pray. Grab somebody. If you go in that room, you're gonna see there's scriptures on the wall, there's prayer prompts, and there's places for you to write down your prayers and then stick them on the wall. And as a church, we just wanna, again, collaborate around. We gotta be asking God for this stuff. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this. Charles Spurgeon, who was um, an 18th century uh, pastor and preacher, and he led a, a, this amazing church where God was mightily at work. And people used to come from all over the world to see what was happening at this church. And they used to say, man, what is happening at this church? There's amazing things happening at this church. And Charles Spurgeon would walk people to the basement and he would take them to the boiler room. And in the boiler room, there was a group of people who had been praying. They would have been praying uh, kind of in, in that room in a meeting format. And here's what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, prayer meetings are the throbbing machinery of the church. And so in order to see God move in amazing ways and for God to catalyze and unify us towards something, we have to be asking him for that. So I wanna encourage you to do that. 30 days of prayer, utilize the prayer room. And then here's the last thing, let's pray for your three. Let's pray for your three. Seth talked all about that initiative, but man, we're saying we want to, there was people who prayed for us 
For those of us who follow Christ, you can probably think of names of people like my Aunt Andrea who invested in you and prayed for you. Would you be willing to pray for three people in your life who don't know Jesus? To say, man, God, I, just, I pray they know the hope that you have. And so here's what I wanna encourage you to do in that. In the chair backs in front of you, you'll see there's a piece of paper just says pray for your three. Here's what I wanna encourage you to do. I want you to get that out if you're a follower of Christ. And I want you to write down your three. And I mean, like, like, do it now. Write down three people that you know that are in your mind. And I wanna encourage you to take that after you write those three down. And would you take that and keep that with you throughout this whole series and pray for those three names. And then I wanna ask you to do this. On week five, I wanna ask you to bring that piece of paper back because we're gonna do something very specific with those pieces of paper that I think is gonna be very significant. So write down the name of your three. We'll get a chance to worship and sing together as we jump into all of this. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness to us. You're so good. Father, for those of us who know you and who follow you, we do never want to minimize the incredible gift that you have given us in, in the life-transforming story of the gospel. Thank you that somebody, and I know for all of us, we can probably think of names of people who cared enough that they poured and they invested into us. So Father, we know it's our turn. And Father, we want to be found faithful. We want to sing along with the psalmist that we will not hide. We will declare. We will tell of the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. For those who don't know you, Jesus, I just, I pray that they would see that you're good. I pray that they would see that in you is life, Jesus, that following you leads to the greatest joy. So Father, I pray that you would even draw the hearts of men and women to yourself right now. Be with us, God. Be with us. We want to follow you in this journey. We want to go where you want us to go. And so would you lead us, Spirit? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the Lord allowed me to have some businesses. After selling our big business, my wife and I were going to uh, focus more on, on serving the Lord on a semi-full-time basis. And within, I think, Three or four months after buying this building, we uh, were asked if we could make a room available in this building for a church to start. And then we we did. We uh, we were glad to see that. We had prayed about uh, committing even this building to the Lord. So we gave a big room uh, over to this uh, group that started a church, which was called Shepherd's Grace Church. What did we anticipate for this area to be and our prayer focus uh, for this area when we initially bought the building was that God would have the ability to use uh, the resource God had given us, which we considered was not really our own, to bring honor and glory to his name. And I'm hopeful in saying this in a truthful fashion to you. Uh, I, I want to totally be open to this because it's still our focus in our old age. Our focus is still that we might uh, glorify our Lord. And our prayer was, Father, use this facility and the surrounding property uh, so that you will receive glory in, in what the Lord had already done in our life. 
Well, I think the Bible teaches us from, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, you know, that we ought to be reminded, we ought to remember what God has done in the past so that we can pass it on to our children in the future. And it is the future that will serve this Lord and continue uh, to bring his, his word into focus to this needy world that we live in. My name is John. And here we go.